This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Anthemson. Yo, what's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Today's guest on the show, return guest, one of my favorites, Chris Rasman, world-class professional snowboarder, uh, had an incredible year last year on the Natural Selection Tour, actually won the Bronco Selection Tour, and so now he's in the top four snowboarders on the whole tour. Unreal. He's also incredibly foil-brained in the off-season, and it's a good one. Uh, I love talking to Chris. I learned so much. Chris is one of the guests on the show where for the next few days after we have a, a conversation, I'm digesting and internalizing everything that he has uh, taught me through the show. And so I hope that you all find this one as uh, as good as I did um, and get the same wisdom nuggets out of it as I did. We dive into, last time he was on the show, we covered flow, flow states, why we love doing what we do and how those states feel. And if you haven't listened, go back and and give that a listen. And today we talk about learning. We talk about how he's taking on foil surfing with his snowboarding background and the mindset differences between competition and free ride. He's always been a free rider in the snowboard world. And now he has been elevated. I don't know if elevated is the right term. I think free ride is is pretty much pinnacle, but um, transitioned to being a competitive snowboarder. And so talks about how he took it on this year and what he's going to change about taking it on next year. A lot of nuggets in the show. And I think you guys are going to dig it. Before we dive in, a couple notes on tests I have been doing with foils over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you guys have been following on Instagram, I've been going through a chop it phase. First, it started off with the 980 and 1210 Kajiras, took the tips all the way off about a centimeter past the tips on the span. And both of those foils, in my mind, are much more surfable now without tips than they were before. They tend to roll. Now, they're not as stable. So if stability is what you're looking for, if you're in the phase of foiling right now where you want stable, you want longer flights, probably not the chop to do. But I like instability. I like being able to roll from turn to turn as fast as possible. And both of those foils are now incredibly loose without the tips. Um, maybe a little bit of, of efficiency loss in those, but not enough to where it is bothering me in any way, shape or form. I'm not connecting less waves, anything like that. Um, and I don't downwind in the same way that some folks downwind where they're doing tons of miles offshore and falling is, you know, incredibly disastrous because you're out at sea. We're doing shore runners, so I'm close to the beach. So if I'm not as stable and, and I kook it on on something, it's it's not a big deal. Just chip into the next wave and start your run again. So loving those two foils. I also took the Armstrong 1250. And if you look at that wing from the front, it's got a beautiful dihedral, but then the tips end much lower than the fuse connection. And I think that's the problem with those foils ventilating the way that they do. The Armstrong, until the 925, I just rode the 925, and that foil seems to have no problem with ventilating. But if you look at the the um, profile, I guess, the front on of that, it's a dihedral 
but then the wingtips go back up, kind of like Lyft has been doing for a long time. Uh, Kajira kind of does that as well. And that foil ventilates just fine. No, no issues in hard turns when you breach a tip. But the 1250, it's a foil that I just haven't even been riding because I can't stand it if you're in a bottom turn and a tip comes out because you're banked over a little bit too hard and then you have a complete loss of lift and it's game over. I hate that feeling. So I chopped it hugely. I took off about four inches from each side. So if you look at it front on now, my tips are at the high point of the foil that barely curves back down, but they're ending above the fuse connection now. Um, I've lost a lot of efficiency, does not pump as good. It still pumps good when you're at speed. It's harder to accelerate for me. And I think it has to do with weight. So it's probably under a 1000 foil now, which is always a little harder to get out of the hole at speed it tends to keep the speed, but accelerating is more difficult. And I'm using a lot of cardio that said, it's an insane surfoil bangs really good as good as the stealth in the foam now, I would say. Um, really tight turns. It's a very fun foil for surfing fully chopped. So if you've got a 1250 laying around that you're not riding, it might be something good to do. If you love the 1250, don't do it. I don't think that that would be a good move at all if you like it because it changes the feel of the foil completely. But it's been really fun. You know, like what I'm trying to do right now is get as many feels on foil and understand the way that foils work by subtly or drastically changing the feel of a foil like by reshaping to see to see what changes and the way that I'm I'm approaching this is thinking about creating a model like a mental model of what does what in foils so you've got foil section you've got span you've got cord you've got um, dihedral anhedral shape. And by subtly changing or drastically changing foils, I want to see where I'm feeling those changes. I've been doing that with tails for a long time and have a pretty good understanding and model for what a tail is going to feel like before I ride it. It's harder to do with, with front foils, with front wings, because you're less likely to do that. And so I just decided that with doing the podcast and really trying to understand the sport, that I'm going to be much more aggressive in doing these things. And I'll share them with you as, uh, as I learn and I start to understand what's doing what. So, um, hope you guys are stoked on that. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into the show with Chris and thank you guys for tuning in. Hit me with questions, comments, feedback, Instagram DMS are a great way to do it. And anyone on the East coast, hope you guys crush it this week with the hurricane Larry swell. We are so stoked here in Jax. It's going to be a, a fun few days. So, all right. Chris, thanks for coming back on the show, man. How are you? Good, Eric. Um, thanks for having me, man. How are you doing? I'm good, but what kind of a year did you have, man? I was just watching clips from your winning run at Natural Selection. I was so stoked for you, man. This year <laughs> when I saw that and re-watching it was rad. Tell me about that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a wild year for sure. Um, first off, because I'm not really familiar with competition uh the path i've taken in snowboarding has been pretty um all of the uh high level snowboarding you're doing is kind of in the privacy of your small group in the backcountry and 
you're, you know, you're filming it and shooting photos, but that doesn't get seen till months later. So you're kind of in this, um, yeah, private group. Uh, so being in the spotlight like that and having to think competitive, competitively and strategically was really different for me, but, um, it was a lot of fun, huge learning experience. And then to tack on another aspect to it, there was the whole pandemic thing. And after being locked down and not being able to leave uh, your country for a year, it was pretty wild to all of a sudden be traveling the world and doing all these COVID tests and quarantines. <laughs> it was crazy. How hard was that as a competitor to deal with the quarantines? And you know, Surf League just had to deal with that in Australia. They had they were locked up for two weeks. And then the event started within a few days of that. And I'm just thinking, how much does that destroy any rhythm that you're in? Um, how did you how did you handle that? It was weird for sure. Um, I didn't I didn't really go into it with a plan because uh, the way the natural selection tour worked this year, um, first off, we didn't find out that we were invited to it until relatively last minute. Um, so the first event was the the live streamed one in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, and then uh, it, I didn't know that I was going to be competing in all three until they like kind of started happening. So I had to win the Canadian event to compete in Alaska. So obviously I didn't know I was going to AK until I knew I won that. Um, and then in between all the events, I was still uh, filming at home, like business per usual for uh, a movie project called the King Snow movie, uh, self-titled um, local magazine is making a snowboard movie. So it was weird. I'd come home from Jackson and I'd have to be locked down for two weeks. Like wasn't allowed to go sledding, wasn't allowed to go ride the resort. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, reading, uh, making art on my iPad. Like I downloaded procreate and bought an Apple pencil and it, it was weird. It was, uh, hard to like watch everybody else snowboarding and kind of break the flow and the rhythm that I had going. But I also found that once I was out of quarantine and able to go film, I missed it so much that there was like an extra level of motivation and excitement to like get clips, get video clips and, <laughs> and just snowboard well. So I don't know, it worked out for me, but it was, it was definitely challenging and strange. Like I did the math on how much of the season I missed because of traveling for the tour and because of quarantines. And it was like seven weeks of, of an already very short winter. Wow. I wasn't snowboarding or sorry, not, not, not snowboarding, but not, um, you know, four weeks, not snowboarding because the quarantine and then three weeks, uh, being in the States for the contest. Did you, do you think that and this is something I think about a whole lot as far as overtraining goes, do you think that it in any way stifled your progression over the winter by being out, um, you know, being locked down for those extra four weeks? Or do you think that you, had had more progression how how in retrospect how does that feel i think it probably hindered it a little bit um just not being on my snowmobile every day and getting a grasp of what the snow like safety wise is a huge one so i had to rely on the crew that i film with to like give me beta on what the mountains were doing like a big part of what we do out here is obviously like snowboard skill level and being able to you know do the tricks and ride well is really important but a huge part of what plays into our success in the backcountry is like safety and snow science and, and beta and knowing what the mountains are doing the whole winter, um, having like a log of the different weird snow layers, um, that correlate with the avalanche safety. And that kind of lets you know what you can ride moving forward and what crust layers are there, what rocks are covered, what stuff's going to be more prone to slide. So 
I had to rely on my crew uh, to basically forward me that beta. And, you know, I trust them a lot. They're a good group of guys I've been riding with for years. Um, but yeah, just, just sitting at home and, you know, doing these like weird little home workouts and yoga and stuff and not snowboarding. Like I, I think it probably hindered my performance a little bit. Um, I had a great year and I, I rode well, but you know, you can always do better. And as professional athletes, we're, we're perfectionists. So, um, yeah, it, it was weird. It's definitely not good for you being, being locked in the house. <laughs> my, my daughter just had COVID and she plays volleyball and, you know, first week of the season, she gets basically asymptomatic, thank goodness. And, but was just locked in her room because, you know, we didn't want to get it. And yeah, so she was, you know, nine days in her room. God, I was terrible for her. I felt terrible for her. Gosh, how old is she? Uh, she's 14. She's 14. And she's locked in your room too. Yeah. She wrote, she, she writes a lot of music and, you know, during the pandemic being locked down, she was prolific at writing and this kind of, I think she wrote four songs in the last week. So that was That's awesome. A bright side to it. Um, yeah. I'm working on one right now, which is really fun. But so in going from being mostly a free rider into competition, did you change your mindset? at all? I mean, did it bring out anything that you didn't expect? I think that was, um, kind of for me now that I've, that I've had some months to kind of process the winter and, and the contest series. I think what I realized is that for the Jackson hole event and then the finals in Alaska, I didn't change my mindset enough. Um, I went into the Jackson hole event, the live one kind of just like, all right, I'm just going to do what I do and not stress too hard. But when, when we're filming, um, we're trying to capture like perfect clips, right? So you'll often repeat something you're doing a couple of times to get it perfect, maybe to poke the grab better, hold on to it a little longer landings, perfect without any arm flails. So, um, reflecting on the Jackson hole event, I should have added more variety to my run choices instead of trying to just repeat and get a perfect run. Um, and then going into the Canadian event after Jackson, I had some, like, some more competitive fire in me and, uh, a bit of preparation from watching how the Jackson event was judged and kind of watching how all of the other competitors who have a lot of contest experience handled it. So I really went in more strategic to the Canadian event and, um, obviously it paid off. Like I, I knew that I was going to be judged on a top to bottom run. I knew that it didn't matter how perfect or large everything I did was. I just knew it, I needed to have flow and I needed to fit a lot of tricks into uh, one run, um, even though it was a natural face with no, no built features. So uh, for, the, for all of these events, we don't get to test ride the course. We kind of just get to look at photos and drone footage of them and we have to like memorize where we're going to go. It's like, okay, there's you know, a rock there with a takeoff there. Uh, you can air off beside that tree, but make sure you're spinning to the left because if you spin to the right, you're going to hit that tree. So you have to memorize like, you know, 20 to 30 critical decisions to get down one of these runs. And I just really focused on making sure I had lots of hits in that run. I was like, I need to like hit like five or six features and get five or six tricks in. Um, and that kind of, strategy like helped me win the Canadian event and then kind of moving forward to making the finals in Alaska it was almost I was like 
I was like, oh, I, I did it. Like I, I won the Canadian event. I was on such a high from that. And I got to Alaska and I'm already friends with all the guys and gals there. And, you know, it's such an epic place. And the Tordrilla Mountain Lodge is, you know, a, a dream to be at. Um, I don't want to say I wasn't feeling competitive in AK, but I think I relaxed too much and went into my filming mindset where when you're doing competition, you, you do really have to have strategy and, um, yeah, but that was that was a learning experience for me, and I'm excited to do it again next year and apply that competitive edge and strategy to it all. It'd be interesting to see how you relate to it after your second season, going in with a year to mentally prepare. I wonder if there's any advantage in coming in like you did this year, kind of blank slate, sending it, um, versus going with with. Uh, you know, a, a year of, of mindset going into the competition and probably thinking, having a, a different level of importance in your mind to what yeah. it is for the second year. Totally. I, I think, I think there's probably like a bit of advantage to, to being relaxed and looking at it just like filming. Cause, cause maybe you can stress yourself out less and just kind of like go with the flow. But I also think to win this thing, you, you do need to add strategy and, and be competitive and, and um, I think that's why I did well in the Canadian event. And I think I had a, a leg up on all the other guys at the Canadian event because I had just competed in Jackson and, and saw what that was about. So I think moving forward to next year, it'll um, probably help me. And if there's any new people in the tour next year who didn't do it last year and don't have an experience in competing, they'll be kind of dealing with what I dealt with last winter. Gotcha. Well, huge congrats. I mean, I was so stoked when I saw that for you. Um, Thank you. Unreal. So yeah, pretty special uh, feeling for sure. Yeah. The, the last time you were on the podcast, we talked about the states of the sports that we love. And I love that one. I've actually gone back and, and listened to it. I think it's an, a, cute, a very unique window into the mindset of someone who is at your level in these, you know, incredibly flow driven states. Uh, what I'd like to talk about today is how you approach learning and looking at foiling because it you know I know that you're still pretty foil brained in the off season now maybe more so than the last time we talked yeah uh, how you are approaching taking on learning and foiling because if you look at your progression obviously you're a world class athlete world class sports sport athlete but you've also progressed super fast I mean your last um, clip that I saw behind the boat, just beautiful carves, um, you know, like, you know, pro surf level type stuff. So, um, how are you taking on the sport of foiling from a learning perspective? And then we can dive into a whole bunch of different thoughts, um, around that. I think the first step of that for me is like a blind confidence and uh maybe even a bit of cockiness that like i i will be able to do this and figure it out because i just will and i just have to so you know that can go back to even um when i was first learning to foil and i literally just bought a setup and was running off the dock and trying to dock start with like no info on what to do like probably doing so many things wrong and just going over and over and over again until i made it work so I think for me, that's step one, just like I can do this and like trying to re remove any doubt in my mind. And I think that comes from how I've learned to snowboard because 
again, to be safe in the backcountry and be successful out there, there's a lot that goes into it. But, but one of the things is you can't doubt yourself when you're about to do something with a lot of risk, um, and with a lot of natural dangers and hazards, like obviously you have to, you can't just like roll in blind and be like, Yahoo, I got this. But once you've committed to the thing, you're going to ride the jump, you're going to hit the line, you're going to drop. Um, you need to be confident in yourself. You can't be thinking about what could go wrong. You just have to focus on what is going to go right and kind of envision that in front of you. And I think I apply that kind of without knowing to learning new things and kind of through my foil journey, I think that's been a big part of it is just being like, I will figure this out. And then um, dissecting what I see on the internet, like all the really good guys and the styles I like, you know, the, the way people turn and kind of the way people pump. And just as the sport progresses, I kind of um, try and adapt um, what people are doing if I like the look of it. Um, yeah, I think... I think those are the main two things for me. And th honestly, there's probably a lot of other things that go into it that I'm not even aware are happening that kind of come from snowboarding, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I think about a whole lot is what I call skill mapping, mm -hmm. where I, I did a test um, a few months ago where I surfed, foiled, and skated every day to see what would shake out. I'm really inspired by the guys like Noah Flagel, um, Austin, Tovey, Kai, Kai Lenny, who are just so incredible at multi-sports. And I was thinking that they have to be that much more incredible to, to be able to um, achieve such a success at, at these different disciplines. But then I reframed it and I thought maybe by doing the dis different disciplines, they're able to accelerate at each one of the sports individually quicker. And so it was a very interesting test that I did where, you know, you have a feel on a skateboard and then you can bring that to the foil or on a surfboard and you bring that to the skateboard. And then I started thinking about what I was calling skill mapping, which is basically like applying, you know, similar but different disciplines across a line. I mean, what are you bringing from snowboarding into foiling? Are there specific feelings that you're like, ah, you know, as soon as you feel something on a foil, you're like, this is like snowboarding like this, but if I, if I tweak this, then this is what, what it's going to do. H how much are you thinking about kind of drawing from the snowboard, um, skill set that you have? Yeah. I mean, first off, I think that's, uh, kind of got my brain thinking about a whole bunch of cool stuff that, and I like the term skill mapping because I, I do believe that you can, if you just do the one sport you're trying to excel at, you can get stuck in ruts, um, progression ruts, and you can repeat mistakes. Um, I do believe that doing multi-sports, even if they're not board sports can kind of help unlock new levels of progression and inspiration and in, in all of them. And I think that's why people like Kyle Lenny are like so good at, I mean, he's obviously an incredible athlete, but I think all of the different sports he does on the daily probably help him progress at each one individually. Like I I've been in a tennis lately and I think the hand-eye coordination and the direction changing and all that probably has something to do with helping snowboarding and foiling. So I think I'm a big fan of just doing it all like any doing a lot of sports. Um, and I think with, uh, applying snowboarding to foiling, it kind of goes back to how I want to look like in snowboarding and with what I do, like 
because everything we do is captured on film and, and put out to the public on, you know, YouTube, Instagram, and snowboard movies. A big part of what's important to us is style and how we look on our snowboard. And so I try and apply snowboard things to foiling, like with winging, when I'm doing airs now, I, you know, I see <laughs> some guys doing airs and it's just like these big supermans or these big, like weird layout things or like kind of ninja kicks. And um, to me, I'm like, that's cool for them, but I don't want to do that. I want to like, you know, bone out my front leg and maybe take a hand off the kite and grab my board and like tweak in the way that I would if I was alling my snowboard. And um, same thing with carving. Like initially when I was learning to foil, I realized, okay, it's not like surfing. It's almost more like snowboarding. You, you drive your turns kind of with your hip and your legs. It's not like surfing where you're using your upper body to like twist and counter so much. But now that I'm good at foiling and I, I can balance on it well and lean into my turns more rather than rudder it, I, I want my turns to kind of look more like surf turns. So I'm like, what happens if I use my arms and, you know, throw my weight around like I would surfing and, and it, it works and, <laughs> and you can like apply that surf style, surf style to foiling if you want to. And yeah, I, I think they all just kind of lend to each other. You've mentioned a couple of times people that you're modeling in foiling who who are you watching and what are you pulling from their styles um to be honest man i really like how your styles progressed since we last talked like the way the way you turn i'm a big fan of like your snaps so even like you'll be pumping back out to the lineup and you'll do like a cool little like snap before you've even turned around to double dip a wave um just kind of what you do with your arms is really sick. Like I've, I've been a big fan of watching you progress foiling. Thank you, man. Uh, Jack. <laughs> <kind of> red. <laughs> oh dude, it's so cool to see, like, especially since we last talked and you know, the sport was so new for both of us, but yeah, you're, you're ripping. It's really cool to see. Um, Jack from town is really sick. I like his style. Um, Brian Finch too. Like he's, he's, uh, I feel like he's done a good job of like applying his like surf background to his turns um, you know, you not afraid to like use his arms and just kind of like use that counter twist motion. Um, he was on yeah. fire this morning. We just foiled this morning. He is going he, nuts. Kind of off topic, but did he move down there? Yeah, he lives in, he lives in Jackson, but we foil like every day now. Sick. That's epic. Yeah, it's it's unreal. And having a good crew, man. I mean, this is something we could talk about too, but I've Pedigo, Austin Tovey, and and Brian are now all here. Um and it's insane to have to try to keep up with a group like that on the daily. I mean, yeah, it, it, that's a huge part of progression too. And that's something that I, I don't have in foiling. I'm like, there's like one guy kind of on my level from the Island. His name's Nick. Um, he, I got him into foiling last summer. So he was like a year behind me, but he lives on the Island. So he's, you know, he's prone foiling every day. So he's, he's caught up to where I'm at and he's got really cool style. Can, you know, you know, triple dip. He, he's, he's ripping and going to link up with him is so special because I'm usually just foiling alone, <laughs> but <laughs> here there are a couple of guys who are super into wing foiling. Now they don't prone at all. They just came from kiteboarding or windsurfing and switched to winging. So they're super fun to, to ride with, but yeah, crew is everything in it. That helps like push your progression and kind of gives you some styles to emulate. Um, before I forget, uh, one of my all-time favorites is uh mr bennett's adam bennett's is every clip he posts i'm like that's what i want to look like on a foil like that makes foiling look cool <laughs> and 
So he's a big one for me. Yeah, he he absolutely rips. Um, yeah, I can't wait till Uni gets out the Viper series so that we can feel what he's feeling. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because he's been he's been testing those for pretty much all summer, right? Yeah, I mean, all I think all his last clips have been on on the Viper. You know, one fifty, one seventy, one ninety. What's um What's up with the Viper? I'm not really following Uni Tech as much. Is it kind of like a hybrid, like what Lyft's doing, where it's a surf wing with a bit of like high aspect wingspan or what's up with those wings? I think it would be a cross between the Lyft V2 Surf and like the signature Game Changer. It's that mid aspect, still get a lot of pump out of it, but you can still roll on the wing still. Exactly. And where the signature has dihedral, I don't think that the Viper does but I know that it still breaches incredibly well from watching his videos. I've heard, you know, insane stuff about it and the videos kind of speak for themselves, but yeah, he's um, like in snaps with his, the wingtips out. And it seems like they're not like cavitating or grabbing air bubbles at all, or he's just dealing with it really well. He's just maintaining his speed, maintaining his lift. It's so sick. It's unreal. What are you riding these days? Um, my two favorite wings right now are the 120 high aspect and the 150 surf V2. Um, <laughs> I'm predom- predominantly riding the 120 high aspect and the 170 high aspect, just cause I, I wing now way more than I prone. Cause I have to go to take a ferry and go to Vancouver Island to prone surf. Um, kind of use the 170 high aspect when the wind's a little light and I need a bit more lift to get me going. And then as soon as it's a 25 knots or stronger, I'm on the 120 and like a sinker board, uh, lift 44 liter wing board. Um, that 120 is just like completely changed everything I thought I knew about foiling. Cause I mean, when we last talked, I was like, I remember one of the conversation points we had, um, we were talking about Nick from lift foils and how he was saying that the 250 surf, he kind of feels overpowered on. And I was like, I don't know, the 250 surf worked well for me. And now I totally understand like, Oh, I just like was early into my foil progression. Like I, I can ride way smaller wings, especially as these things progress. And like, you know, I never thought I'd be able to ride a wing as small as the 120 at 180 pounds. <laughs> That's, I mean, I am such a kook on the wing, but I can't imagine getting up on the 120. I mean, I surf it all the time. It's one of my favorite foils. I, it is like what I say about the 120 is it's the only foil that has completely surprised me. And I've been hundred percent wrong on what I thought it was going to feel like and what it felt like. Totally. I feel yeah. like there's magic in there or something like that. You know, like this is not a lift commercial. No, it changed. It like fully changed what I thought I knew about wing design. I was like, this yep. works for me. I was like, there's no way. And then, um, Matt from lift was like, trust me dude. just order it. Like, uh, he, um, Matt Elliser, forget how you say his last name. He lives in Hood River, Oregon. He's like the team manager for Lyft. And he's like 200 pounds and has been posting all these wild uh, downwind videos of him on the 120. And, and uh, he kind of thought the same thing. He's like, I did not think I'd be able to ride this. And it's my favorite wing now. And like you said, I don't know if there's some sort of <laughs> witchcraft magic in that thing or every line and every curve to that wing is so like methodically thought out that it just, just works at, it's yeah, it's sick. Like, like winging with it. I've had some unreal days where, you know, it's over 30 knots and the waves have had some time to build and 
I'm like depowering the kite and basically just downwinding on the 120 and doing surf snaps that feel like surf snaps, like quick little turns where you don't feel restricted and have to have to like roll them out like traditional foils. Like, yeah, it's so sick. It's so sick. My only criticism of the 120 is that for hitting foam and it hits foam. Fantastic. It's just that it's stall speed is so high. You know, that little like snap that I do coming into those connection turns, like the point of that is to kill speed so I can turn harder and not have as, as many G forces in the turn, or if you're hitting uh, to not have as much. So yeah, like I plan where I'm going to hit and then I shed speed and I set my line with that turn. Um, well, you, too. <laughs> yeah. And the benefit is I think functional things generally do look good, but um, yeah, it's about, it's about placement and about speed, but on the 120, you can't, I mean, you're coming in so fast that everything gets really critical. And I hit, I hit a foam the other night on that thing. And I mean, I probably carried like, I don't know, eight or 10 feet on top of the foam. And I had another one that was just disastrous. This taco where you're seeing your board in front of you and coming down on it. It's, it's, it's faster than I'm comfortable with when I'm doing that, but for carving and for pumping, I mean, just blown away. Yeah, totally. I, I haven't, um, tapped into, I haven't even tried to hit foam yet. I just haven't, haven't bothered. So I'm curious once I start getting psyched on doing that, or, or maybe I'll start, I haven't rode uh, straps while proning yet. So maybe that's kind of the next level in my prone foil progression. So I can't speak for that, but what I will say is my, my problem with the, the 120 is similar is the stall speed is so fast mm-hmm. that it's really hard to recover when you have a little slip up. Right now, if you maintain your speed, uh, you know, I'll smack the board on the water and be able to recover as long as I still have speed. But if you have like a weird hiccup and you slow down a lot, it's yeah, you're, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> what tail are you riding? Uh, the, the 25 glide, the little one. Do you have the 34? I do. Oh, yeah. I find that the 34 on the 120 is, is it, it turns it into like a surf wing. Really? Yeah. The, uh, the original 34, do they have a 34 V2 or are you riding the original one that they came out with last summer? That's what I ride on the 150 as well. Really? Okay. I'm going to have to try that out. That's gives you kind of a little bit more stability. So you can kind of hack it a little harder. Um, it's a shorter fuse. So it tightens everything up and it's got a little bit more surface area. So I feel like I can push harder on it on the 120 with the 25 tail. I can't turn as hard as I'd like because I actually stall the wing in the middle of the turn. It starts to slip. And with the 34 tail, you can crank it over a lot harder. That's really good to know. I'm now I'm all excited to try that. Um, you find it still pumps good with that shorter fuselage. Yeah. I love it. I mean, you might lose a little bit in the pump, but it's still so good that it's worth losing a little bit to be able to basically turn it into one of the best carving surf wings. Yeah, no, totally. That's a good trade-off. And and the wing already pumps so well for how little and fast it is. Yep. Yep. Um, I just had a buddy try that and he called me. He is, wasn't loving the 120. And he called me after that. He's like, this thing is insane. It's a, such a good <laughs> swing. And then you're on the 150 a bunch too. I actually rode that this morning. That's an incredibly good wing as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and again, like that, I I kind of thought that for surf wings, 170, unless I was doing toe in on big waves, that 170 was going to be kind of my, my minimum average, uh, wing size. But, um, yeah, the one, the V2 150 is sick. Like it, it pumps almost as good as the 120 high aspect. Like you still have to, you know, it's a surf wing, so it doesn't have the same, 
uh, wingspan or aspect ratio, but I feel like if I keep that thing at speed, it pumps really well. And the roll is just so nice on it. Like that, that wing, I will, I kind of have like two different styles of foiling that I want to do if I'm proning, if like the waves are kind of out the back and there's more open faces and less white water. I'm like, okay, I want to like turn this place into a skate park. So I want to like chip into a wave, do some carves, pull off it, pump out the back, look for another swell bump, catch that one. If that's the type of foiling I want to do, I'll ride the 120. If there's a bit more foam and a kind of a bit more madness in the ocean that day, and I want to just focus on like more aggressive turns, then I'll ride the 150. Yeah. Do you find on the 120, I guess the other thing that's tough for me is if I take it out when it's choppy or there's a lot of current, I tend to get a lot of, you know, stalls that I wouldn't get on any other wing where yes, you just pump right through the water. Yeah, totally. That, and like, uh, you know, foam balls, like if you pull off a wave and you're kind of like sliced through the whitewash that like those vibrations and kind of weird air bubbles really affect it. I feel kind of just stalls out. Yeah, no, yeah, I, totally. Um, if you can go fast enough, right at the foam, you can clear such a long distance. Sometimes it doesn't matter. You can kind of, you know, clear 20 feet before you have to pump again. Yeah. And you're just kind of standing there waiting, like, come on a little farther, a little farther. And here we go. <laughs> yep. Um, you're doing a lot of it on the lake now, aren't you? Like I've seen you, the clips behind the boat. Yeah, that's been kind of, kind of this summer has been a, a little less, um, Vancouver Island coast trips than I would have liked. Um, it's just so expensive to get there. And I, I bought a jet ski this year too. So I've been doing a lot of like, you know, kind of camping missions in the house sound, which is, um, uh, the ocean and Squamish, uh, no waves, but that's where we get a lot of wind. And it's just kind of, um, opened up a lot more doors here where I've haven't felt the need as much to run away to Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. So I've done a ton of winging and, um, my girlfriend's parents have a cabin at this, uh, remote lake about an hour North of Whistler. And it's this 22 kilometer lake. And it's like a total wind tunnel. Like it can be, you know, piss calm there for a couple of days. And then, then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the thermals will, will turn on and it'll be 30 knots. And if you go to the last quarter of the lake, you have like waist high wind waves. So I've been doing a lot of, um, I'll like, it's funny, the lake's really remote and there's like not really any beaches or anything. So to get to the last quarter of the lake, you, you need a boat. So I'll like see the wind kick up by the cabin and it's fully wingable there, but I'm like, okay, I know that if I like drive the jet ski for 15 minutes, it's going to be way better. So I'll like pack up alone on the jet ski drive down, pull into like a random little bay, anchor the ski, pump up my wing, set up my foil and foil alone for like two hours. And, you know, I'll like downwind with the kite depowered until the jet ski is a bit too far away from my line of sight. Then I'll tack back upwind and do it all over again. And I had a session, um, about a week ago now that is, might've been the best wind, wind chop size waves I've ever had. And I didn't have the 120 with me. I was on the 170. That was just the wing I brought out there. But I was like, <laughs> felt like such a dork. I was like screaming to myself alone as I was like cutting down the line of these little <laughs> wind waves and taking carbs. I was like, I'm I'm surfing right now. Like I'm surfing on a lake. This is insane. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So fun. <laughs> oh, I need to get the wind bug, man. We might actually have a good day tomorrow. I I just know it's rad. And it's, yeah, I I mean I I will say it, it's like when I'm on a wave that good, a wind wave that good, and I'm, I have the kite depowered, I'm kind of just like, I wish I didn't have the kite. I wish I was just downwinding, mm -hmm. but the kite does allow you to like do all that stuff. And it just provides another fun 
I don't know, like, you know, the lake I'm talking about is an hour away and we, we don't go there all the time. So I live in Whistler and there's lakes everywhere around me here, but they're all too small to kind of have enough time to build wind waves, but just being able to like drive five minutes away from my house, pump up the wing and kind of go rip around a little bit is like, you know, with no ocean around me, it's, it's a pretty special thing. Like it's super satisfying. I think that is the secret to the growth of foiling. Yeah. You know, I think so too. on tap everywhere behind a boat is insanely fun. On the oh my gosh. Yeah. That's another, sorry to interrupt you. That's, I know that's kind of how you started the question. That's something I didn't even talk about, but yeah, like, uh, one of my other favorite things to do around here is, is wake pirating with the jet ski. So it sounds like such a, a funny, like privileged thing. Like I'm going to take my jet ski to go chase somebody else's $300,000 wakeboarding boat. But that's literally what we're doing. Like we'll, we'll wait till the nice weather days where there's no wind and there's a bunch of boats on the lake and I'll take uh, my roommate Mark and he'll drive my ski and we'll just go and wake pirate. And when people are wake surfing, he'll whip me into their third or fourth wave. And it's like, it's so fun. Do they love it? Are they stoked on people doing it? No one's ever bummed. Like usually they love it. Like I've never had someone be like, Hey man, like fuck off. Like everyone's usually <laughs> until 10 years from now when there's going to be like 40 guys out there trying to pirate wakes all the time. Yeah, exactly. Luckily it's still new enough and novelty enough that the wow factor is there, but maybe it'll get annoying eventually when the sport's too popular. <laughs> Where you're at, are you getting stopped all the time by people asking you what that thing is and how does it work? And is it electric and all that? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Like on almost on the daily, a little, a little less so than last summer. Like last summer, it was literally every time I would set up my foil and there are people around people would ask, but now a little, um, more people in the area know what it is and they've seen them. They've kind of seen them on the internet too, but I still get a lot of questions. And, and like you said, one of the most common ones, especially if it's like an older couple or something is they're like, where's the motor on that thing? Where's the propeller? <laughs> What's your answer? Legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's usually what I say. It's in my legs, leg power. It's all, all manpower. Brian and I have been joking about getting shirts that just answer all the questions on the back. <laughs> so you can just keep walking and just point to the back of your shirt. Cause generally we're walking back from like a, a shore runner, you, you know, you go down a mile and then you're walking back on the beach and you get stopped like 15 times. Oh my gosh. What would be, what would be your, like, if you could put five, five answers to questions on the back of a t-shirt, what would they be? I think it's, uh, w- number one is it is dangerous. Number two, uh, <laughs> not electric three, just like flying, you know, like those are the jokes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Um, do you have any funny answers? Have you given anyone like a, a super funny, not true answer when they've asked you? Um, <laughs> not that I can think of. I mean, it always depends on, on, on the mood I'm in the, depends on the mood I'm in. Like sometimes I'm more down to talk about it and be sincere with them and give them a bit of information. And sometimes if I'm tired or kind of not in the mood, I just kind of like not brush them off, but you know, just give them like a quick, like, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I can't think of any like funny or sarcastic ones I've given, but because the other thing is like, it's, it's so new here still. Like, you know, it's not like Hawaii or Florida or Australia. It's, it's like, it's in my benefit to get like people psyched on it. And, um, and I just want more people to foil without here. So if like people are curious and they want to get into it, which is like happening all the time, like I have so many, um, like, uh, Instagram DM conversations going with 
people that have hit me up about like what foil gear they should buy and you know, how, how do I get into it? Like, can you get me any deals? <laughs> you know, the whole thing. Um, how is it in the snowboard world? Are you seeing a lot of riders get foil curious? Yeah, definitely way more are getting foil curious. Like some, a lot of my snowboard friends are reaching out and then I have some, um, are you, sorry, are you hearing that dinging by the way from the text or is that all good? Oh, it's fine. I can pull it out. Cool. Um, yeah, like definitely uh, a lot more curiosity and people getting into it, but I think in the snowboard world, it's still kind of got like a bit of a, a kooky aura around it where snowboarders are just like, I don't know, like anything like surfers too. like some of the more core ones are pretty clicky and anything new that they don't understand is, you know, it's just not very cool yet. And I feel like a lot of snowboarders just like either want to be like six skaters or six surfers and, uh, anything else new, they're just kind of like, Oh, so it still kind of has this weird stigma around it, but any of the snowboarders that have reached out to me about it and have tried it, they're like hooked and totally foil brained. So it's just kind of a funny thing. Like, I know it's like a broken record and all foilers know, but it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. Try it. Like, you'll see, like, I'm, I'm not doing this. I haven't dedicated my off season to this because it's not fun. Like, I'm not just like, yeah, I'm just going to stick with this thing. Cause I'm already a couple thousand dollars. in. it's like, no, I'm sticking with this thing. Cause it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> what are on that thread? What are the feelings that you love in foiling? I think my favorite feeling is how free it is. Um, you don't need much of a wave. You don't need a specific body of water or an ocean. Like you literally just need water and, and you can do some sort of foiling, whether that be pumping off a dock, whether it be like, you know, a, a big six meter wing wing and, you know, ripping around in super light wind or 30 knot winds and downwinding. Like I, I just love that no matter where you are, if you have a foil in a body of water, there is some fun to be had. And, um, and yeah, it's like, it just feels freeing. Like when I'm, when I'm foiling up at the lake and there's nobody around and I'm riding these waves and I'm just like looking over and there's these towering mountains. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, this is the like most like liberating and like, I just feel lucky. <laughs> and so I think it's cheesy just to say that's my favorite part about it is like, yeah, how, how freeing it is. Um, obviously the, the resistance free aspect to it, the, the hoverboard feeling is really special too, but the main thing for me is that I can do it anywhere. Yeah. How do you relate to the consequence in foiling versus the consequence in snowboarding? Um, it, I don't know if I do, I, I feel like the consequence in foiling is so much lower than the consequence in snowboarding that I don't even really think about it. And you know how it is, you get to a point in foiling where like you hit the, <laughs> I should knock on wood here, but you hit the foil a lot less. You kind of have an understanding of what the, what the board and foil is going to do when you fall, like where it's going to go. It's, you're not so confused and you're like, well, why did that thing hit me in the back? Like you kind of know where it's going to go. Mind you, I haven't started tapping into like hitting the whitewash and I haven't put straps on my prone board yet. So I'm sure when that starts, that's going to be a whole new, whole new level of falls and foils to the head. But, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really scare me yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, compared to what you're doing in snowboarding, I think it would be minuscule. I can't wait to see you in straps. 
I mean, if you look at what's happened when the wakeboard guys have gotten into strapped foiling. Yeah, totally. Think about what you're doing in the snowboard world and now applying that maybe in big surf too. Like I could see you on like a 50 foot wave, basically snowboarding on a foil strapped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Popping rodeos and stuff. Yeah. Funny to have you say that. Cause like, uh, it's, uh, Noah Flegel is that, that, uh, the redhead wake. Yeah. Like surf guy. Yeah. Like the stuff he's been posting is like psycho. And, and when he posted that, like, um, Nick twist or rodeo thing, he did the amount of people in my Instagram feed that forwarded it to me, actually any, any viral foil thing that happens on the internet, so many people forward it and send it to me. And I'm always just like, trust me, I've already seen this. <laughs> I saw it before all of you. Cause I'm down this rabbit hole and you're not yet. I've seen it, but I, I, I think maybe to be totally honest, I, I think part of me somewhere deep down there is holding off on putting straps on my wake foil setup or my prone setup because I'm like, Oh, I'm going to like go crazy when, when like I'm going to, be able to apply my aerial awareness and I'm just going to start like boosting flips and spins off everything. So I know that that's going to happen. And then maybe it would open up possibility for more injuries. And then the other thing um, I'll admit is like what people are going to expect of me. And I think that's a silly thing to think. Cause like, I'm not a pro foiler. I'm not a marketed foiler, but like there is maybe a bit of that, like, um, uh, ego or complex that comes from snowboarding where I'm like, Oh, as soon as I'm strapped, people are going to be like, all right, bro. Like, this is the level. What are you doing? Like, let's see some flips. <laughs> yeah. Th- that's an interesting one. The, um, pressure, the, especially of social media right now where, yeah. you know, I mean, you could do it and, and never post on it. Yeah, no, totally. That's the thing. I could just like, I don't, po- I don't really get filmed a ton foiling anyway. So a lot of like the, the cool stuff I do is <laughs> it doesn't get seen. And it's just for me anyways, but yeah, I could like do it progressed at my own pace. And then if I feel like I did something that I'm stoked on, I could post it. But, um, that's another thing like, uh, with, with like style and like how important style is to me from snowboarding. Like, I feel like some of the like flips and, you know, wake foil rodeos and stuff I'm, I'm seeing, they, they look a little too, too gymnasty for me still. Mm-hmm. And then like, um, you know, strap foil proning, like it's, uh, right now it's, it's mostly just like flipping off the wave when you're pumping back out and then sinking and then it's over. Right. Um, so it's not like, it's not that I think that's lame or anything. Like I, I think it's sick, but it doesn't get me as excited. as just like carving does still. Right. But like anything, I mean, I got pretty much within three months of winging last summer. I was like, okay, I need straps. And I got straps because it just added another, you know, there's not as much waves to ride. so it just kind of added another fun thing to do winning, winging. And I'm, I'm super hyped on strapped airs winging. Like I'm doing three sixties and, you know, weird little pokes and grabs and contemplating trying to backflip, but I feel like I should put a helmet on before I do that. <laughs> I want to see it. Uh, I'm not seeing those posts yet. I want to see it. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Like I know no one's, I'm always just kind of, yeah. I'm so used to having a camera on me snowboarding. It's, it's funny, like not getting documented doing this thing. And it's such a first world problem or a funny thing to say, but I'm like, Oh, like no one, no one films me foiling ever. <laughs> you know? you some clips. Do you think that that is slowing down your growth? I know for me, clips are how I'm progressing. You know, I'm, I'm big, big advocate of yeah. breaking oh. down clips right away. 
and and to me it's you know it, i'm looking at like i get mad if fingers are in the wrong you know stupid stuff like that but i've just i have this kind of model of how i'd like it to look and i'm working towards that model um oh yeah i, I mean do the same thing in snowboarding big time yeah you 100 hit the nail on the head like that that resonates with me so much, like, again, going back to style and like, and filming videos, so much of what we do is like based around how it looks, <clears throat> how it looks. And so we, we have the luxury of, you know, reviewing footage and not everyone gets to see themselves snowboard in front of a camera uh, so much, but, but we do. And I think that helps us perfect our style and make it look the way we want to. And um, if you're not being filmed or you don't have clips of yourself doing it, uh, I don't know if it, slows the progression per se, but it'll definitely slow down um, you getting to the, the way you want to look <laughs> on a foil. Like when you said, like, you'll, you'll get bummed on like a weird, you know, finger in the wrong position on a turn, like all of that stuff. Like, you know, my friend uh, followed on that video you were talking about on the wake foil where I was banking those turns, like my friend followed me and I was like kind of playing around and trying to get my feet forward and see if I could like hang five and there was just like one little thing I did. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Like, I don't, I don't like how I look there. Like now that I've seen that, I know. So I'm going to fix that. (laughs) So video is super important to, to progression of some sorts. Yeah. The, um, so let's talk carving for a second. Do you ever go out and just do like the old school snowboard? Um, I don't know what they're called, but the, the, like the laid out carves on, like they used to do on the hard boots, but you can do them um, like packed runs. Just yeah. Crank oh, as many G's as you can. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like it's super fun to go up the, the uh, ski resort and go up early when everything's still got fresh corduroy and it's nicely groomed and just, you know, try and get to like 80 kilometers an hour on your snowboard and just lay into that edge, like old school style back to the roots. Like that's super fun. And, um, and just obviously carving in powder is untouchable. Like, you know, a big heel side hack into a toe side with a lot of speed is like almost beats any, the feeling of any trick. Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, I do that a lot. <laughs> How do you relate that feeling? Cause that's my favorite feeling in snowboarding. And then my favorite feeling in foiling are those like S carves where you're just, the thing I love about foiling is that when you get them going, you're building speed the whole time. So you start off kind of slower. And then you, if you don't bobble at all, you just faster, each car, faster, each car, tighter. Um, yeah. do you, are you, uh, how do those two feelings relate for you? Well, they, uh, they relate in the sense that like, uh, you know, a high speed drawn out carve in powder snowboarding is like one of the best feelings in the world. And in foiling for me, if I'm, if I'm foiling on like a decent size wave and, everything's right. And you get like a big high speed, like heel side roundhouse into a toe side. It's also one of the best feelings, but where they're drastically different is every, besides foiling every board sport I do, you have to work to generate speed to do that carve. And those carves slow you down. So it's like you with surfing, you're pumping, pumping, pumping to do that carve. And then you lose all your speed snowboarding. You point your snowboard downhill and go straight you do the carve and you lose all the speed, but foiling is so different. Cause like you said, if you do everything right, as you're carving, you're building speed. And then it can kind of almost, you can kind of lose control if you're like four <laughs> carves in because you're like, Whoa. And the G forces just get kind of crazy. So that's a really unique 
thing that foiling has that other board sports do not. Yeah, I think that's the the magic in it. Like that's what I've been trying to work on and the weaker surf downwind runs right now is to just keep all that speed through turns. Yeah. You're not totally. having to, Yeah. As little pumping as possible down. I actually think the 150, the lift 150 V2 after the it's got this new board that's really lighting up that foil. And I think my next shore runner is going to be on that foil. It's really small to do a shore runner on, but I think the next, uh, the next shore run I'm going to try to do on that. And I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, totally. Especially cause you're the shore, <clears throat> shore runners you guys are doing. Um, it's not so much downwinding because you're not getting out to the wind line. You're kind of just using the diagonal swell and then pumping past the surf break and then getting another wave and then pumping past the surf break. That's, that's kind of what you, what you mean when you guys say the shore runners in Florida, right? Yeah, uh, that's a large portion of it. And depending on the wind direction, you can get out to the wind line and hang out there until a swell comes through and then you can take it back in through the lineup and surf. Sick. Yeah. See, that's pretty epic. What I'm moving forward with foiling, like what I'm most hyped on right now is I want to tap into the, the downwind world. Um, you know, I got this jet ski. I want to, I want to use it. I want to get, get a crew of guys here. Like, you know, I have a couple guys that I wing with that haven't done any proning, but they're, they already have a good grasp of how to like, move around on wind waves, like how to ride one until it's done, pump back to the next one. And, um, yeah, I want to track down the windy spots here on the coast and in the inlets and, and get into that. And I listen, I've listened to a couple of the guests you've had on that have been talking about downwinding and really tried to like pay attention and analyze what's going on. Cause to me, that's just like the sickest, like being like that far offshore and just, you know, riding the open ocean energy for miles. It's so insane. Yeah. It, it's on, it's unreal. Like I haven't done like a legit downwinder ever cause we don't really have the setup for that. But you know, Brian and I, the other day sent it for five miles, um, with probably oh. three or four chip-ins to get down there. You know, the last run was probably two miles in and out of the surf. Ooh, did you drop a car? Or did you just walk the beach after? Um, we got my, my wife is amazing. She's the best woman on the planet and I've got an Apple watch. So I called her and she came in and grabbed us. <laughs> Epic. That's awesome. She, she's incredibly supportive. <laughs> that's a, that's a special keeper right there. A supportive foil foil lady. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a running joke. It's going to happen sooner or later is so like Pedigo's wife is in the same situation where Sarah and Abby, so my wife is Sarah and Pedigo's wife is Abby. They have to listen to us talk about foiling nonstop. And they know more about foiling than like 90% of foilers, I think. <laughs> Just from like through uh, osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> Just about it. Yeah. Um, Epic. And, yeah, my lady's... Super- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say what we're going to do. And, and maybe, maybe your girlfriend um, would want to do this with them is we're going to get a bunch of questions and then have Abby and Sarah do a podcast and answer all the questions on foiling. Because I think they're going to, I think it's going to be incredible. That would be like such a good combination of awesome and hilarious at the same time, because (laughs) it would be funny to hear, hear the ones that they like mixed up or I don't know, it would just be interesting to hear their uh, interpretation of it just from like listening to you guys be obsessed with it for the last few years. I think it's going to be embarrassing how much they know about foiling. Oh, for (laughs) sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so we're coming. Um, oh, go ahead. That, that foiled again Instagram account. Um, yeah, 
it's just so funny. Like every once in a while when they post a meme, a foil related meme on like, that correlates with like relationships and like having a wife or dating a girl. If you're a foiler, I just find them so funny because they're all so relatable because this, the sport is consuming, like, and there's, it's just progressing so fast that you have to pay attention if you want to get better. So like, and everyone's just so excited about it. It's just so easy to talk about it for hours once someone's on the same level as you that for a girlfriend that like, isn't into it, it must just be so hilarious to watch from a distance. Like, <laughs> okay, honey. <laughs> like, numbers nonstop. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, in how fast the sport is progress and we're coming up on the hour mark right now. So we, we can, um, you know, close it up whenever you want. Um, but in the progression that is happening right now, and you were a part of snowboarding before social media, right? Yeah, totally. On before social media and and even before um, people were releasing uh, videos on YouTube, like I, I started when it was all about uh, waiting all winter to see what the pros are doing. And then in the fall, like five or six snowboard movies would come out and that was the algorithm. So how do you think that social media is fueling growth right now, if it is? And can you talk about the experience in coming up learning to snowboard versus learning to foil now with social media as a, as a tool? or you know, maybe as a negative, I, I don't know how you relate to it. Um, I'll start with the the negative so I can end on a, on a positive note about it because it, it's, it's the world we're in and, you know, we have to accept it. Dinosaurs will die. You're either, you're either moving forward or you're staying stagnant. Um, the, the negative aspect of it is it's, it's making everybody impatient. Um, in snowboarding, people are a lot less likely, the industry and snowboard fans are a lot less likely to sit down and watch a half an hour snowboard movie that a whole team of riders and, and production crew have, you know, spent a lot of time and resources and energy to make. And it's, you know, it's essentially an art project. Um, so it's social media has kind of ruined that a little bit and it's forced the hand of all the companies and the sponsors to, you know, make their athletes influencers. Um, and, you know, you've got to con constantly be tagging and promoting the product and using your, your swipe up code and all that stuff. So I understand it. Uh, I understand it works and it's, it's really valuable marketing, but, um, you know, the old school nostalgic person in me misses, misses just kind of waiting all winter and summer and then finding out what the pros were doing once the high production movies came out. Um, on the positive note, it is allowing so much more content to be out there and you don't have to be a professional athlete to have the resources to have yourself filmed. You just need a buddy with an iPhone or a buddy with a Mavic drone or, you know, everyone's got a camera nowadays of some sort, GoPros, and you can share what you're doing on the internet. And then in 10 minutes, you can see like 50 other foil clips of what the pros are doing or snowboard clips. So I think because of that, um, the progression rate will move faster. There's just a lot more stuff out there to see, a lot more stuff to compare yourself to, a lot more stuff to resonate with. Yeah. The, I agree with everything that you just said there. I'm just processing it all right now. One thing that I think, and this is something that my friend um, Josh Waitskin talks about a lot and actually had me do a test and I'm a big believer in what he was saying now that I have done it. And that is that 
the constant need to post and the audience reaction to the post starts to f- starts to change the way you would approach doing things and so even if it's unconsciously you start to move in the direction that is giving you the most feedback versus maybe the optimal direction for you in your training or your growth path so they could be at odds and maybe maybe you could argue that the sport is going where the sport's going to go and that's what people are liking but um I did about four months, three and a half, four months where I just did a zero posts on social media. And I don't know if it's happenstance, but it also coincided with probably the best run I've had in progression in a sport ever. That's um, really interesting. Yeah. I just came out of that hole and started posting again about two weeks ago because I'm pretty stoked on like what I was able to accomplish during that time. But it gives you the freedom to go out there where you're not worried about maybe getting a clip. And even like, I'm not really worried about that stuff. In no way am I a professional rider or anything like that. Like I post on Instagram kind of to track my progression through, I give it, I think it helps with the podcast so that, you know, I'm growing along with the show. And my, my also gives like on, on a more uh, shallow perspective, but a true note, it gives the podcast a lot of credibility seeing how hard you rip. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. It's like, Oh, he should be talking about foiling rather than like, if you didn't post anything and be like, who is this guy? Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think the, the whole thing was the undertone of, of learning, but it was Mm -hmm. interesting that the, the best growth that I've had has been in the absence of posting on social media. Yeah. Um, Do you ever feel like you're working towards something that's existential to um to your to maybe your your goals or social media somehow drives what you're wanting to do i guess this is kind of a deep conversation but it's something i think about um yeah i I mean i think it's true because even just going back to what i said about like strapped wake foiling and strapped prone foiling like i'm i feel like part of the reason i'm hesitating is because of what and this could be true or not, but either way, it's what I'm portraying on myself. So it's, it's my truth <laughs> is what I feel that uh, my viewers who now know I'm obsessed with foiling and message me about foiling all the time will expect. Um, so that right there shows that uh, social media is, is doing something to my own personal growth as a foiler. And, and it applies to snowboarding too. I mean, a lot of the conversations me and my, my crew of riders have when we're talking about plans for the following winter in the fall and in the late summer. And you know, that, that time is now is uh, for the last five or six years, a lot of it has been about well, like, what do the viewers want to see? Like, like look at all the clips they're doing well on Instagram. Like people don't want to see photos on Instagram. They want to see video clips. Oh, people don't want to see like high production red shots. Like what's sick is just like an iPhone clip of you hitting the side hit. And um, maybe for some people, that aligns with where they want their snowboarding or their foiling to go. So it works out well, but for others, it might not be the same direction they would go if they just uh, unplugged and put the phone down like you did, and then just kind of let it naturally happen. So I think it could be a positive for some and a negative for others. Um, I think for me, if I am getting filmed on the ski resort, let's just say with somebody's iPhone, and I know it's going to end up on Instagram, I am less likely to try something I'm not good at. I'm less likely to try something that I should be working on, which for me, the ski resort, that's the place to do it. Like 
that's the place to work on stuff I'm bad at. So when I take it to the back country and take it in front of the real red cameras, I do it well. But instead, if there's an iPhone out, I'm just doing what I know that I can do well because I know when it ends up when it ends up on the internet, I'm going to look good. And so that is a that is a wall, I think, to progression. And and I feel like um maybe a lot of uh, kids are feeling that these days, whether it be their sport or whether it be even just aspects of their personality growing. Uh, they're they're just worried about what everyone's going to see on Instagram, so they want to they want to polish it and make it look as good as possible, even if it's not their truth. That's an interesting point there. And that's one of the surfing and snowboarding are, are two of the sports that it's very difficult to practice in privacy. Yeah. You know, Kelly Slater goes to try to, you know, work on something getting barreled and he's a pipe. Everybody's filming big Um, time, you know, but if you're playing basketball, no one's in, there's no cameras in the, on the court during the practice for the Lakers. Right. Like you're not seeing that. No. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, it's, it's so huge with action sports. And, and, you know, like you said, if Kelly's trying to like learn something new or work on something at pipe, I, I mean, he's, he's such an anomaly that maybe it doesn't affect him, but let's say it does. Like he knows there's 20 cameras on him at the beach. Is he less likely to try that new weird thing he was wanting to try? Or is he more likely to just do something that he knows he's going to look sick at? Like, again, uh, to bring it back to myself and snowboarding, like, the snowboard park on the resort, like, you know, just man-made jumps. Like I'm not a park guy, but those, those jumps are in a sense, my training ground. They're a place for me to like perfect the new grabs, new tricks, new spin directions. But I, I'm now at a point where I, I know I'm a well-known snowboarder. I'm an inter- internationally marketed rider and um, it, it's silly, but I, I portray these expectations on myself from like, you know, the, the kids in the park, the other riders, all the people around that I'm like, Oh shit, there's 30 people here watching. I'm not going to do that trick that I'm trying to work on that. I know I'm bad at. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do something I know I'm good at. And then it makes you feel good. You, you do it and you're like, Oh yeah, I looked sick and everyone's stoked, but you didn't get anywhere that day. You just kind of are repeating yourself. You didn't progress. So those, that's like a, a human brain thing and an, and an ego thing. Um, I don't, I don't know what the key is to fix that, but what's, what's not helping it is, is, um, everything ending, ending up on the internet so easily. Right. Private hours at the, at the resort or something yeah. like that. I don't know how you work that out. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think above all, it's, it's just like, uh, uh, like, you know, focusing on managing ego more than anything and, and trying like some, some days I'm better than others where I just don't care. And, and some days maybe I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious for whatever reason or, or in a rut. And then it matters more that day. So I think that's more just like has to come from within than worrying about what the rest of the world is doing. Yeah. But is it just managing ego? I, I don't know if, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not in the same situation, but at the same time, you're a professional rider who has a brand you know, I mean, if you're looking at yourself like a business, which I think that I think if you're a professional athlete, you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like a business decision to go and stomp the tricks in front of people more than an ego thing, possibly. Yeah, for sure. No, I think there's an aspect to that as well. Like, um, you, you are a business and so you have to, it's even, it is even as shallow as like how you look at a public event. Like if you're going to like a movie screening or somewhere where, you know, there's going to be a bunch of industry people or, or people with eyes on you, like you're not, 
you're not going to show up in the t-shirt you painted in. Like you're going to, you're going to dress well and you're going to be like, you're going to try and look like a professional athlete or just like you, you have your shit together. And, um, so yeah, there's a business aspect to it there. I, I think for me, it, at least it is, it is a big part of the ego thing too. Cause I think at the end of the day, like, I don't think that many people are going to, are going to care if they see me do like a flaily back five with a new grab I'm trying. They're not, I don't think they're going to be like, Oh, what happened to Rasmus? He's losing it. But in my head, <clears throat> excuse me, in my head, <laughs> that's like, it's affecting me more than, than they notice. If that makes sense. Well, and, and possibly that feeling is, and that attention to detail perfectionism is probably also has a lot to do with why you're so good at what you're doing. It's, you know, double-edged sword, I guess. For, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's funny. There's so many layers to it and it's like years just blow by and I, you kind of just go like, you know, eyes on the prize and keep going. And it, it's funny, you know, as I move into my early thirties, you, you kind of start thinking about how the world works a bit more, I feel like than you do when you're in your twenties mm -hmm. and all of those things kind of start coming to your head. And it, it, it's fascinating. Like, man, we sure are a complex species. <laughs> and living in probably, arguably, the most difficult time because we're managing... We never used to have to manage who we were online and how people... You know, it was just who you interacted with during a day. There's this whole other complex multiverse or whatever we want to call the internet that is where most of the people think or get a lot of their information about everyone else around them. And that in a lot of experiences and meeting people that are um, out there to a large degree, it's not necessarily who they are. And, but it's, um, yeah. That's, that's it's, another interesting thing that like, what they want you to with. see. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, this is a whole could, could branch out a whole nother conversation, but it's, it is like, you know, you'll run into people and whether it be a friend or someone you've never met before, and you can start a conversation with them about, how their year's been and what they've been up to. And like, Oh, how was that trip you went on? And it's like, Oh, I didn't tell you about that trip yet. It's like, Oh, well, of course you already know everything about that trip. Cause I posted 12 stories while I was there. So it's like, there's this weird aspect of, um, knowing what, you know, everyone is up to around you where before we didn't, <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's yeah, it's interesting. And who knows what that's doing. Like that's very new for our species. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it's just like, like you said, I'm only 32 years old. And like when I was, when I first started snowboarding, none of this stuff existed. So it's pretty crazy to have it like move forward this quickly. Absolutely. I think about that with my kids all the time. And, you know, my, my daughter's been writing a lot of music and we're talking right now. She's got some stuff that I think is pretty darn good. And we kind of have a zero social media policy for the kids, but that's where you release music now. And so we're having this conversation and I think in a lot of ways it would be good. It would be motivating, but I know there's going to be some big negatives that come with it too. And so this has been an ongoing, probably two or three month discussion that we're having right now about how we start entering this world. Yeah, man, that's a hard one to navigate. Um, really? It's yeah. Especially like 
you know, it's, it's your daughter and like you, you love her. She's, she's your girl and you're, you're watching what she's making and you're like, this is amazing. Like, I'm so proud of you. And this is actually really good. It's not just amazing because I'm your dad, but then you're like, ah, do I, do I want you to release this into, into the world? And you know, 14 year old kids can be so cruel to each other. Like, do I want the, to open up the, the criticism door that might affect her progression as a musician kind of goes back to what we're talking about. Like, She's not a professional musician yet, but she's so uh, young and impressionable that what the internet tells her, what the internet does to her, is that going to affect her, her path? You know, like, so those are all worries that, yeah, I I don't envy um, that parents have to deal with. Yeah. And then if you look at all the pro surfers that are coming out now, you could have spotted them, you know, eight years ago on videos or social media feeds and the whole thing. They, and a lot of, their progression and where they've gotten to be the opportunity has come from that exposure early on. Oh, oh, so, big time. Look at Aaron Brooks. Like, I feel like Aaron Brooks is as big as she is right now because um, of all her Instagram postings of her absolutely slaying the wave pool or whatever wave she's at. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's a, a new generation of, she's like an internet made pro at like 13 years old or whatever she is. Yep. Yep. Um, Right on. I've, I've kept you a lot longer than, than we bargained for, Chris. So I appreciate that. What, um, how do you want to close this out? Any last thoughts you've got or? Um, well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking with you and, and catching up. Um, it's, it's cool to chat, um, this, you know, year and a few months later or whatever it's been. And the <laughs> sport of foiling is changing so fast and it's exciting. And I'm, um, I'm along for the ride as I know you are as well. And to anyone out there listening that hasn't tried it yet, I, I doubt you haven't tried it if you're listening to this podcast, but just give her a go because it's the best. And don't be afraid to ask questions. The foil community is small and everyone is super nice and helpful. Um, yeah. If you have questions for me too, don't be afraid to shoot me a DM, whether it be about snowboarding, foiling, anything. It's just, yeah. Much love to the whole industry out there because uh, we're like-minded individuals and, and we got a special thing. Yeah, we're lucky to have it. And if you guys do not follow Chris Rasman or don't know, if you're new to the podcast, didn't listen to the first one, um, what's your Instagram, Chris? It's just Chris Rasman. Uh, uh, yeah, just at Chris Rasman. Last name's R-A-S-M-A-N, Rasman. And I highly suggest you go and look at the winning run from the national uh, nat- natural selection tour, um, which I, I watched to get fired up before the podcast today because so so rad and i'm just so stoked for you man like congratulations on all the success and thanks for coming back on i I love these conversations man i always learn so much from you oh me too likewise eric um i i appreciate that i appreciate the props and i really hope in the near future when uh, this pandemic stuff calms down that we can foil together i'll have to pay you a visit in florida dude open invite any any time epic we can do some shore runners sounds awesome This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.